The last two studies we've been talking about, God's word, the first essential. God's word is the clear foundation. God's glory is our exclusive motivation. Now the third essential that we're talking about today is this. God's plan of rescue is our only hope. Let me say that one more time. God's plan of rescue is our only true lasting hope. So what's your plan? (laughs) What's the plan around here? You ever use those words? Maybe use those this morning. (laughs) You're trying to get out the door to church and you're like, okay, what's the plan to get ourselves in that car? Well, those of us who have kids, this phrase is used all the time. Hey, what's the plan? What's your plan around here? I use that all the time with my kids. Um, We're talking about walking into a a messy room, and the kids know that room is not to be in that condition, and just standing there as discreetly as possible, say, okay, hey, hey, what's the plan here? (laughs) What's on the docket to get this place clean? Uh, We do projects as a family certain days of the week. There's projects that they'll have that we'll all participate in. Okay, so this is kind of gross. One of them yesterday was to collect some manure from the horses and get it in the pile over there so we can get ready for the garden and stuff like that and just a bunch of dirt moving and things like that. But when we put that together and all the kids are getting together, there's one kid grabbing a shovel here and others on the you know, four-wheeler with the, the, the trailer behind it getting ready. They're all over the place. And sometimes we just got to stop and say, okay, uh, what's your plan? What's the plan here? And we were talking about this all the time with our kids. I love um, kids' toys. They're great. One of the toys I absolutely love, even as a big dude, is I love Legos. All right. Legos, you are free to have your imagination flow. I mean, you're talking about creating a rocket that can orbit around the moon five times. It can travel. And then it can, at the same time, with one push of a button and one expansion of a, a little deal, can dive to the bottom of the ocean. Imagination abounds. However, when you get a new piece of Lego, a new toy, kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you just start your imagination going with this new toy, that thing's not going to happen. We love playing with Legos, creating our new things, but when you get that new one that you get for Christmas, you're going to have to follow the plan. And sometimes I'll walk up to the kids when they get one of those things for Christmas, and I'll be like, hey, What's the plan? Oh yeah, dad, here it is, right here. All right, let's go to one, let's go to two. Let's walk through this. What's the plan? I think of this in so many ways with our kids playing games. (laughs) Uh, With our kids, we love strategy games, but not the long ones, okay. Um, You've seen that picture with uh, Monopoly pieces all over the living room, and you know, the little caption is, yeah, play a family game together they said it would be fun or something like that we did play monopoly last fall and it went well but it transferred into like a two or three day game we like the short ones monopoly deal that's great we like the short strategy games every once in a while we'll pull out one called ticket to ride you guys know that one put your little train cars in the way but in all of these sometimes you can see which one of the kids has a plan every once in a while we'll stop in the game and say hey hey What's your plan? 
You can't just put a cart here. You can't put a cart there and just hope it all comes together. There has to be a plan. Well, that's not just with kids, is it? What do we do every day? We're putting a plan together on our calendars every single day. We're talking about teachers. You got to have a lesson what? Okay, plan was the word. It's a lesson what? Plan. Okay, you got to put a plan together, right? Construction workers, you got a floor plan. Engineers, mechanics, doctors, nurses, lawyers, secretaries, accountants, financial planners, students. You got to have a plan to get it done. I love what Benjamin Franklin said, and this carries on through our lives. If you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. Life seems to revolve around putting a plan together. Um, we lived in the top of the mountains in Colorado. I was part of, uh, loosely part of, what was known as the Lake County Emergency Services Council. <laughs> All right, so a bunch of names for what we did to get together and coordinate efforts for if emergency happened. So I was part of the clergy representative there, the churches, but we had police department, sheriff's department, fire department, search and rescue. All of us would get together and we would spend hours on end refining our plan. Why? If emergency happened, there, this question would be asked over and over and over again. What's your plan? What's the plan here? Okay, we've just been talking regular life. Let's take that question and bring it into theology. If you ever approach the scripture with that question, what's the plan here? Sometimes we like to look at the scripture as if one segment here in the book of Jonah, then we're going to go to Mark and pull out a section here. And sometimes what ends up happening is the plan is kind of muddled a little bit. What are we doing today? Today we're realizing that God, in all of his sovereignty, has an amazing master plan that he's working. This God, in all his love and grace and mercy, is working his plan. This is what we're talking about. This is what holds us together. When we talk about God's plan, a lot of times you'll hear these words, and it turns into kind of Christianese. As we've been talking, God's plan of redemption. What is that? God's plan of redemption is the fact that he is working a plan to rescue the human race. To rescue us from our rebellion, from our sin. What are we talking about? Well, in the scriptures, it's known as the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is known as the good news. So what are we doing today? I'm going to take the next half hour, and we're going to look at the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ that holds us together. This is the center of the hub from which all the other spokes travel. What is it? God's plan of rescue in our life. And it's not going to be a complicated sermon today. It's going to be a basic one, reviewing some of those concepts that you heard when you were little critters. But they're going to, they're, they are transforming truths that we have to hold to every day. So what about this plan of God? If you would advance the slide one to Galatians chapter 4, 
had you turn to Galatians 4, would you look with me quickly at verse 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5? This is one of those verses in the scripture that you probably want to circle. Because what's happening here in Galatians, in the New Testament, is we find evidence that God has a beautiful plan of rescue. What am I talking about? Paul, to the churches in this region, the believers in this region of Galatia, he says this. But when the fullness of time had come, in other words, at the exact right time, at the exact moment when it should happen, we could talk on that for a little bit as far as what's happening culturally, but we're going to withhold today. But in the exact moment when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. What is this? This is the fact that God has a plan of rescue. And guess what? It involves adoption. It involves the saving of souls, the rescuing of souls. This morning, we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what we're talking about. These truths of the plan of rescue are obvious that they are established in Christ alone. God's plan of rescue is implemented by grace alone. And God's plan of rescue is received through faith alone. Can we talk about that for a little bit? Let's start with the first one. Things you've heard before, but let's go revisit these things and reassure ourselves, encourage ourselves with the beauty of God's redemption plan. The beauty of God's rescue. Let's start with this one. God's plan of rescue is established on Christ alone. In other words, this plan is inseparable from the person and work of Jesus Christ. Anytime you talk about salvation and God's plan, you cannot discuss this without bringing Jesus Christ primary in the discussion. God's plan of rescue is inseparable from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We cannot even interact with God's plan of rescue without putting it fully on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. Christ being the promised Messiah, the promised rescuer, our sovereign Savior. Think of this. This Christ, and we're not going to go through and explain all of this right now, but I'll, I'll bring this up. Christ being fully God and fully man at the exact same time. Do you completely understand that? No, but the Bible completely teaches it, so we trust it. Fully God and fully man at the exact same time. We like to say it this way. Fully God, fully man at the exact same time so that he could fully reconcile or redeem. If Jesus Christ was not fully God, he could not redeem us to a holy God. If God, Jesus Christ was not fully man, he could not fully identify with our humanness. Jesus Christ was fully God, fully man, in order that he might fully recognize this is the Christ that we're talking about. Up there on the screen it says, in Christ alone. A couple, well, was a, a week ago Friday, we watched a, a, an amazing documentary talking about in Christ alone. Why is that important? Because there's no other prestigious plan. There's no other powerful person who could make this plan work. As much as we try to manipulate this in our minds, it won't happen apart from Jesus Christ. 
God's plan of rescue is inseparably, inseparably established in Christ alone. All right, can we see a little bit more of this? This plan of rescue established in Christ alone, probably some of you can come up here and teach some of the things I'm gonna teach right now, but let's just think through this. First of all, as revealed in the redemptive story of the book you have on your lap right now, the Bible. The Bible's beautiful. This Bible that you hold on your lap from start to finish is sharing a beautiful plan of Christ's redemption for us. Jesus loves me, this I know for the what tells me so. Bible tells me so. Did you know from start to end, the Bible is telling you how much God loves you and this story of what God is doing to make rescue possible. To illustrate this, I want to just read this passage here. What's happening in Luke 24? Jesus Christ has shared of his life and sacrifice. He was crucified. Three days later, he was raised from the dead. That's the story of our scriptures. That's what holds it all together. But I love what happens right after that because he starts revealing himself to his followers. Do you remember that in part of the story? This passage, Luke 24, is about him revealing himself to his followers. There were two fellas. We don't know if they were formerly disciples or just general followers of Jesus Christ, but they were, they were discussing things on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus comes alongside and starts discussing it with them. They have a meal together. Jesus Christ incognito. They don't realize it's Jesus Christ. Remember this story? What does Jesus do? Well, if you just read the story with me. And he said to them, oh, oh foolish ones. <laughs> In other words, you're not getting it. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then I love this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What's happening here? Jesus, to these two followers that didn't recognize him, they thought that Jesus was still in the grave. Maybe he rose, they heard word of. They didn't know where Jesus was. Jesus says, hey, can I show you something? From the scriptures, he taught all the way through the scriptures, beginning at Moses. What are we talking about? The first five books of your Bible are called the Pentateuch, the Torah. These are the books of Moses. What did Jesus do? He starts talking with them about himself through the scriptures, all of scriptures. In the very same chapter, we find at the end of the chapter, Luke 24, Jesus to his very disciples. What does Jesus do to his disciples? He says this, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms might be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. What is Jesus Christ himself doing? He's saying, let me open the Old Testament scriptures. Here I am, and here I am, and here I am, and here I am, and here I am. If you go to your Hebrew Bible, they call it the Tanakh, T-N-K, if you want to put it that way. The Torah, the first five books. The Nabaim, which is the prophets, the writing, the Kituvim. All three designations Jesus Christ himself brings up. And he says, here I am in the Torah. Here I am in the prophets. Here I am in the Psalms and the writings. All the way through, brothers and sisters in Christ, that is the Bibles that we hold on our laps today. 
It is a redemptive story of Jesus Christ. What am I talking about? What happens in the first three chapters of the Bible you have on your lap right now? Man rebels against God in an awful way. Directly disobey a holy God that created them. If you remember in your Bibles, what happens in the first three chapters? Right away when they rebelled, what did God do? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he promised a rescuer would come. Brothers and sisters, it's at the beginning of your Bibles. Right there in Genesis 3, 15, he promised the rescuer's coming. He gives a little bit of a clue about this rescuer, that he will go through some pain He doesn't divulge all the information about the rescuer, the exact time, but he says, guess what? A rescuer's coming. You know what happened through the rest of your Bibles? Through the rest of Genesis? They're looking for the rescuer. Is it Cain? Could it possibly be Cain, the offspring of Adam and Eve? No, he he killed his brother. (laughs) Not him. Could it possibly, as we go through the story, could it possibly be Abraham? Abraham's the one. He's got to be the one. Eh, no. But another clue is given to Abraham that through the rescue, all the nations of the world would be blessed. They would be rescued. Prior to even Abraham, could it be Noah? Noah's the one. Eh, no, he, he kind of messed up. It's not Noah. Could it be Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, any one of the patriarchs? No. Could it be David? David's the one. He's the kingly one. No, what happens in 2 Samuel 7? No, you're not the one, David, but in your family, through your line, the rescuer will come and he will be a king. What's happening in the scriptures? The Bible that you hold on your lap right now is pointing us to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All of your Old Testament, Jesus is coming. He's coming. The prophets tell us more about this Jesus. This Jesus, he's going to come, and guess what Isaiah says? He's going to suffer for your sakes. Now when Jesus comes, he dies and is rose again. What does he teach his disciples? Hey, let me tell you, from all of the scriptures, the law of Moses, from the Psalms, from the prophets, here I am, and here I am, and here I am. This is the scriptures, brothers and sisters in Christ. This in Christ alone thing isn't something cool that just happened at the Reformation. It is cool that it happened at the Reformation that we came back to this. But this is something for all of human history. That salvation comes in Jesus Christ alone. Let's continue to advance that a little bit more. It's expressed through the sufficient work of Christ. Not just in the redemptive story of the Bible, but through the work of Jesus Christ when he came. What do I mean? Well, you, you, if we can recall some of those verses we learned when we were young, young kiddos, critters. <laughs> I like to call them critters. John 14, 6. Jesus, prior to going to the cross to Thomas, what does he say? Hey, G- Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. What does Paul say? Actually, Peter. Peter in Acts 4.12. He's preaching. He's, he's talking. He's defending himself to the Pharisees, to this group of people that were against Jesus Christ. What does he say in Acts 4.12? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. If you want to be saved, you want to be rescued, it is only in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
in our scriptures, we kind of continue on to First and Second Timothy. And Paul, to his son in the faith, Timothy, reminds him, there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, and who is that mediator? It is Christ Jesus. What are we talking about? When we, when we work through this in our minds, when we talk about the concept of in Christ alone, this rescue plan that is our only hope, it is in Christ alone, we are talking about a couple things. I'm just going to breeze through them. We're talking about his divine nature, his divine existence. He is God. We're talking about his miraculous birth. Uh, a quick time out on that one. Who would have thought this plan up? I'm going to tell you, probably not a single one of us in this room, actually, I'm going to probably guarantee not a single one of us in this room would have wrote the script this way. Where Jesus Christ would be born of a virgin and born in a humble cave with animals surrounding. The first ones to worship formerly are stinky shepherds. Why not this Jesus being born in the courtyards of the kings? But this Jesus was born as a humble servant to rescue mankind. His miraculous birth, his sinless life, his sacrificial death. When we're talking about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, we're talking about the fact that he rose victoriously. This is the climax of our scriptures. As he rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death. When we're talking about Christ alone, we're talking about his gracious intercession. What is he doing right now in Romans 8? He is interceding on our behalf. Jesus Christ is standing before God on your behalf, on my behalf. It is in Christ alone. We're talking about his eternal reign. And actually before that, we're talking about his decisive return. This is what you would read about in the book of Revelation in your Bible. Guess what's going to happen? Oh, I can't wait for this day to happen. Wouldn't it be awesome if it would happen sooner than later? In all of his glory, Jesus Christ returns to set all things right. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I can't tell you how much I look forward to that time. When he returns decisively, he set things right, and then he reigns eternally. This is what it means to hold on to Christ alone. God's rescue plan is not in some powerful figure in history, some plan of some genius. It is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's continue on with this thought. God's plan of rescue is in Christ alone. And God's plan of rescue is implemented by this word that we spent about a month talking about, maybe two, by grace alone. By the way, you're seeing a pattern of some things that were battled through about 500 years ago, almost exactly 500 years ago, in what's known as the Reformation. These concepts brought to the forefront that salvation is by grace alone. Salvation is in Christ alone. What are we talking about by grace alone? Remember what we were, how we defined grace? Through the scriptures, you can see it as being a gift. God's gift of undeserved and unearned favor. It is new life. It is empowerment. Basically, if you bring it down to one sentence, it would be God giving us something we didn't deserve. In no way did we deserve this. This is grace. 
God's rescue plan is held together by this concept of grace. All right, so let's kind of look a little bit more into the fact that it is undeserved. Starting with this one. God's grace is unmerited favor for sinners. Sinners are those who have missed the mark through the legacy of Adam or through daily rebellion. And I would say not and or, it's a both and. (laughs) We miss the mark because we're part of Adam's race. We miss the mark because we rebel daily. And, And sin being missing the mark, I would say maybe in our minds, let's advance that a little bit. You've heard the illustration of missing the mark in archery or something of that sort. I would say it's more than missing the right mark, it's hitting the wrong mark. <laughs> you ever gone shooting um, and you have a phenomenal shot? You're like, did you see that? You're on the range, you're shooting at 300 yards and you're right in within an inch of the bullseye for two of your three shots. Your drooping's real tight and you're like, wow! The guy next to you, you're like, did you see that? He's like, huh? You're not even on the page. You're like, no, I got two of them right there. And he's like, dude, you're on the wrong target. (laughs) That's my target. You nailed my target. You filled my target up with holes. Shoot to the one, three to the right. So when we miss the mark, it's not just missing the right mark, it's hitting the wrong mark. We sin. And what happens? When we are born into this world, we're born as sinners. Those who have missed the mark, but those who have hit the wrong mark. Paul in Romans 3 assures us of this. He says, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That glory that we talked about last study, that glory, that majesty of God, we miss the mark of God's glory. In Romans chapter 5, it's up here on the screen, we find this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still, what? Sinners. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been now justified or declared righteous by his blood, much more shall we be saved, rescued by him from the wrath of God. What's the point? We are sinners. God's grace is unmerited favor to sinners. Let's go to the next one there. God's grace is unearned relationship for enemies. So scripture is clear to remind us that we're sinners. Scripture is clear to remind us that we're actually enemies of God. Romans 5, same passage, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be rescued by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What is reconciling? It's closing the gap. It's bringing together. And what did Jesus Christ do on the cross? He took people that at one time were enemies to the glory of God, that stood affront to God's holiness, and he reconciled them. God gave favor to sinners And God's grace is unearned relationship for enemies. Both of these terms, all of these terms we're talking about, they fall in the realm of we can't do it on our own. There's not a single thing we can do to earn God's favor. Not a single thing we can do to transfer ourselves from enemy to heir, 
We can't do it on our own. It is all of God's grace. Let's continue on. God's grace is undeserved life for the dead. (laughs) So in one chapter, the Apostle Paul has called us sinners, enemies, and dead. (laughs) You think there's a point to be made? Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who's that one man that brought sin into the world? Adam, right? And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, that's Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more. Well, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. What's the point? Brothers and sisters in Christ, through Adam came death. Through Christ came life. Paul took special care through the Holy Spirit to remind us that we're sinners, we're enemies, and in all of that, we are unresponsive. I shared an illustration a couple weeks ago. Uh, maybe I could be a bit, I'll be cautious here, but morbid. We had a, a rooster that showed up dead yesterday morning in the pen, all eaten up. And kids came in and like, Dad, the rooster's eaten all up. I mean, as, as ambitious as I am, I'm not going to go to that rooster and be like, hey, kids, it's okay. Just give him a little water, put some chicken feet around him, give him two hours, and bada bing, bada boom, rooster's crowing again. Not going to happen. Why? That thing's unresponsive. It needs a miracle of God to give life. And I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are unresponsive to a holy God. It takes a miracle from God to bring us into relationship with him. That is grace. Grace is undeserved, unmerited favor. Grace is unearned relationship. Grace is undeserved life. The point is God's rescue plan that we're talking about that holds us together. This salvation is not manipulated by enemies. It's not manipulated by sinners or dead people. There's none that seeks after God, Paul says in Romans 3. Jeremiah in the Old Testament says, what about our hearts? They're deceptive, deceitful, desperately wicked. What is this plan What holds it together? It's not who we are. It's not what we've done. It's not God looking down and said, Woo, I'm impressed now. It's not what we own. It's not based on our own discipline or our own accomplishments. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, the rescue of God through the personal work of Jesus Christ is entirely of God's grace alone. Let's look at another aspect to this. God's plan of rescue is in Christ alone. God's plan of rescue is implemented by grace alone. God's plan of rescue is received through faith alone. This is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's remind ourselves this morning that faith is confident belief. It's trust. It's trust in something or someone. In this case, it is fully trusting in Jesus Christ And we need to distinguish this right away. That faith in the New Testament is not consumed with how good of an action your faith is. (laughs) Faith is consumed in the object of your faith. 
Do you understand what I'm talking about? Faith in the New Testament is consumed with the person, Jesus Christ. We're going back to the first one there. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Faith in the New Testament is not in any way consumed with a contributing action. In other words, we did this to be saved. This particular prayer saved me. No, Jesus Christ saved you. This precise five-step plan saved me. No, Jesus Christ saved you. This response to the call of an altar or some other call saved me. No, Jesus Christ saved you. Signing this membership document of some sort saved me. No, Jesus Christ saved you. Remember the previous point. This rescue is by grace alone. We could not even respond. Please let us get this in our minds. We could not even respond to a holy God if it were not of his grace. I love what Jonathan Edwards say. I I love Jonathan Edwards writing and preaching. And here's what he says. You contributed nothing to your salvation other than the sin that made it necessary. (laughs) Do we realize that? It is all of God's grace. Last year, my son David was baptized. And we spend time talking about what is baptism. Salvation by grace and faith, what is baptism? And so I spent some time meeting with him. There's three other people that were getting baptized at the same time. So we just talked about the beauty of this salvation. And then prior to being baptized, I brought them to the church just to uh, share a little bit about themselves, ask a couple quick, easy questions. And I didn't catch myself. I can't believe I did it. But I looked at my son and I said, David, what should you do to be saved, buddy? With this smirk on his face, he looked at me in front of the whole congregation. He said, nothing. (laughs) And then I got it. Because this is exactly what we're talking about. David, and then I could tell where we were going with this. He kind of looked at me. Nothing. And And it caught me off guard because it's like, oh yeah. I didn't do anything to contribute to my salvation. I put my faith in what Jesus did to save me. It is my faith put in the one who did all the work. I think we clearly need to move on. So we do nothing to contribute to our salvation. By faith, we receive everything that Jesus did to make our salvation possible with this one Simple equation. Last week we were talking about this in our, that documentary we watched. The temptation of man-centered religion is to somehow make myself responsible. It's constantly Satan trying to make us responsible for our salvation. We did something to receive salvation. So what's the equation that Satan likes to bring to the forefront? Faith plus something I did made me saved. What's the Bible teaching of God's grace alone? Here's the Bible teaching of God's grace alone. Faith equals salvation that leads to works. And actually that little plus sign there, plus work, I I like to put that in arrow. Can you advance one? Turn that into an arrow. All right? Faith equals salvation. That is the equation of the scriptures. But this will clearly lead to a changed life. That is what we're talking about, faith. And I want to develop that a little bit more with these simple points. First of all, true faith is a confident response. It's not in me. When you use the word confident, it's like kind of, you know, puffing your shoulders out, your chest out a little bit. It's like, yeah, 
No, this isn't confidence in me. This isn't confidence in you. It's confidence in the personal work of Jesus Christ. It is in Christ alone. Faith, faith is a humble response to a big Savior. Paul says that in Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved. And there's this phrase in there, it says, through faith. It is a confident response to what Jesus Christ did to us. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, in case you won't think you want to boast about it. It is all of grace. How do we receive this? We receive it by faith. Again, faith in the object of our salvation, Jesus Christ. Two nights ago, we were talking about this faith, and I had Eva stand up on the table. You've done the trust fall before, but I hadn't done it with her. So I stood behind her, and I was amazed because she closed her eyes, she stood there, and she fell straight back, and I caught her. Twice she did. I was fully anticipating her flinching and kind of getting scared. But what happened? She had confidence, not in her own ability to catch herself, because she didn't even put her hands out. What did she have confidence in? The ability of the one that was going to catch her. It was her dad. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our faith is not consumed with our ability to work this out. Our faith resounds and rests on the one who finished it all, Jesus Christ. It is a confident faith in Jesus Christ. True faith is a confident response. True faith is a repentant belief. Jesus Christ clearly distinguishes this in the scriptures. I mean, how does he start off his earthly ministry? Here it is in Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Luke, the account of Luke is this, 532, Jesus says to the proud Pharisees, he says, I, I've not come to call the righteous, the people that think they're righteous, to, but sinners to repentance. Repentance is a huge deal in the scriptures. It is a change of mind towards God, sin, and myself. It's a change of mind that leads eventually to a change of lifestyle. Some say faith is on one side here, repentance, they're separate topics. So let's talk about faith for a while, and let's talk about repentance for a while. I'm telling you, in the scriptures, I can't see them being separated at all. Faith and repentance are two sides to the same coin. You cannot have true faith without repentance. That is the point of James. If you want to see this just come alive in book form, read the book of James. He says, if you have faith, it's going to be revealed in the way you live. It's going to be seen in repentance. True repentant faith is not simply adding Jesus to my lifestyle. By the way, do we see that? People say, I want to be saved, so I'm going to add Jesus to my lifestyle. You know what biblical faith is, repentant belief is? It is seeing Jesus change my entire life. It is not adding Jesus to the equation. It is watching Jesus change the entire equation. He changes our lives. That's what repentant faith is. It's God's, what God says about my life counts. And I will obediently follow what he says. I will believe what he says about a changed life. It is responding to Jesus as king of my life and watching him transform my daily pursuits, my misguided priorities, and my sinful propensities. 
That's what repentant faith is. Repentant belief. Let's look at one other aspect of this faith. True faith is a transforming trust. Back to Ephesians 2. You're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves unless you want to boast about it. But if we go to chapter uh, 2, verse 10, if I can just read this real quickly. This shares with us that faith isn't about just receiving Jesus Christ, adding him to my life, and then sitting on the couch. It's further than that, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should take one step after another, after another, after another, that we should walk in them. What's the point? True faith is transforming trust. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we see things. It changes the way we act. Clearly, this doesn't mean we will never again sin. As you walk through the, I mean, you wouldn't have the epistles if that were the case. God's people will struggle because we still have this flesh. We still struggle with this sin. But here's what it's saying is daily I'm going to wrestle and I'm going to battle because Jesus Christ is transforming my life. I'm going to follow Christ with everything I have. I'm going to pursue a godly perspective with everything I have. What's the key idea today? All of that. Simply enough today, what holds us together is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. God's plan of rescue must be our unwavering hope in church accountability, in church organization, and church advancement. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is central to everything we do. At Cross Point Community Church, everything we have, with everything we have, we must hold to the fact that God's rescue plan is in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, through faith alone. So here's the question. Have you been rescued? Have you come to Jesus Christ by faith? I don't want to take for granted that there's some here that are sitting in this room that have grown up your whole life hearing these things, but have never embraced the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What if today were the day when you placed your faith and trust in the only one that could rescue you? When you came to Christ in faith and repentance, with this repentant faith that transforms your life, would you come to Jesus today? Here's another question. How much do we appreciate the rescue? Every morning of your life, do you wake up in incredible gratitude to the fact that Jesus Christ saved your soul? For about five years of my life, we were up at the top of the mountains, our lives. We lived in Leadville. It was a pretty tight community, and I met on Friday morning at 6 a.m. with a group of men from the community and the church. Uh, some days it was just a couple of us. Other days it was a couple tables worth. And we met at the coffee shop to pray for each other and to encourage each other in the scriptures. And there was a fellow that came. His name was Tony. This is a man who had a rough life. 
This is a man, if you looked at him, you can tell physically he had struggled with some things in his life, just how he handled his body, how he talked. But I'm going to tell you, this was a man that appreciated a rescue. What do I mean? 30 years ago, down in South, Southern California, he jumped off a bridge into the water to take his own life. Somehow, at the same time he was jumping, an off-duty, I believe it was off-duty firefighter saw him jump, got in his boat, ran over there, and pulled him out of the water. This man, Tony's back was broken, and he was about to go under. I'm going to tell you, I can't tell you how many times we got together on Friday mornings to praise God that Tony didn't remind us of what God did to save, to rescue him physically. Brothers and sisters in Christ, how thankful are you for the fact that Jesus Christ rescued you for all eternity? So God, that's the prayer of our hearts. God, I pray that at Cross Point Community Church, what holds us together would not be cool programs, hip methods. God, what would hold us together would not be inventions of our own thinking, but that what would hold us together would be your gospel. The fact that you have rescued us through Jesus Christ. That our rescue is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone.